You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast sponsored by Natural Stacks. This is the show everybody who's into performance and biohacking should listen to. If you want to know more about Optimal Performance, check out OptimalPerformance.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage that I kind of want to keep to myself. Natural Stacks. Natural Natural Stacks. Stacks. Shout out to the guys over at Natural Stacks. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers, and welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy, and I am chatting with our guest for this week, Ben Greenfield. Ben, say hello. Yo, what's up? Hey, I'm sorry for not wearing a shirt. Um, I did not get the memo that this was video, and I work at home in my underwear. So just um, thank your lucky stars that it's not a, a full-body video. I, I think you planned it that way. You wanted everybody to see you shirtless again, didn't you? Yeah, you know <laughs> me. <laughs> so for you guys that, uh, that don't know, Ben Greenfield is a world-class endurance athlete, model, actor, I'm sorry, coach, ex-bodybuilder. Uh, yeah, I can be a model and actor if I need to be. Okay, okay. <laughs> Business owner and a biohacker. So today we're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff, including performance nutrition, um, the best foods for longevity, becoming superhuman, and a whole lot more. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, uh, you guys know that we love your five-star reviews on iTunes. So I'm going to read a couple of them here from... Uh, our latest episodes a crisp podcast jammed with golden nuggets always worth a listen fingers crossed for that giveaway uh, as expected love it this is from adam w a huge natural stacks fan this podcast doesn't disappoint the show has already had some great guests the episodes are filled with actionable steps and you can take to move to the next level in your performance. I look forward to what lies ahead for this show. So make sure you guys head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and you will be entered to win a year's worth of free Natural Stacks goodies. Um, Also, make sure you check out OptimalPerformance.com for the show notes, the video version. You can see Ben shirtless. Uh, That is OptimalPerformance.com slash Ben Greenfield for this specific episode. All right, so let's get into this. Our fact of the day, uh, we, t- we try to tailor these to the episode. So uh, we knew we were going to talk about performance nutrition and maybe not necessarily needing as many carbohydrates uh, as the typical endurance athlete thinks. So um, there is research out right now uh, being funded by NASA and the Navy SEALs where uh, some doctors are researching the, the best ways to fuel performance um, and what we're finding or what they're finding is that medium chain triglycerides and even shorter chain triglycerides, uh, six and eight carbon chains have induced ketosis with as little as one tablespoon dose right before activity. And what they found is compared to, uh, a regular state or the control state, the, Experimental groups are experiencing improved cardiac output, higher VO2 max, prolonged exercise endurance, and increased mitochondrial function and energy. So a lot of good scientific evidence there to support fueling with 
those short and medium chain triglycerides instead of carbohydrates. Ben, I know based on your experience and the experience that you've had with a lot of your coaching clients, um, you, you've got some anecdotal evidence to back up that lab research, right? Yeah, I mean, you mean just like time in the trenches type of stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say absolutely. You know, I, I did about 12 months of ketosis last year in preparation for ultra-endurance, like Ironman. Uh, I used a lot of, a lot of the medium-chain triglycerides during that experiment. Um, and it turned out pretty well. I mean, you know, definitely for, for endurance, it's a useful hack. Um so yeah, uh, and I've talked with Dominique Diaz, you know about it, um, improvements in VO2 max, efficiency and economy of oxygen utilization. Um, and, and I shouldn't say improvement in VO2 max, it's more an improvement in your uh, your output at a given percentage of VO2 max, not your top end speed. Right. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. So now you said you experimented that with that for for about a year. Are you no longer trying to stay in ketosis? Are you a little bit higher in carbs than you were during that phase? Yeah, I don't really think that ketosis is necessarily, um, at, at least not strict ketosis, is necessarily like ancestral or natural or anything like that. I mean, I've spent plenty of time out camping and out in the wilderness, and you certainly do go through periods of time where you've got like 12 to 16 hour fasts, or all you have access to are plants uh, with occasional oils like nuts and seeds and stuff like that. But then, I mean, there's times when you're just like going to town on crap loads of meat when you do come across right. food and it's like it's very likely from an ancestral standpoint that we would have we would have been at a point where there there would have been either uh, highly insulinogenic feedings such as as heavy protein meals based off of animals um spikes in blood sugar from something such as finding finding fruits or carbohydrates in nature um you know like whatever you know if, if i'm out in an epic hike and i come across like huckleberries or blueberries or something like that then those bad boys are going to get eaten especially if i'm if i'm out camping and i don't have anything else so ultimately um strict ketosis is more of like a biohack right it's it's like um you know coconut oil mct oil lots of seeds lots of nuts um even using liquid ketones like hydroxybutyrate for example and ultimately um you do maximize fat burning efficiency i mean we've shown that in the labs the recent faster study with Jeff Volok showed improvements in fat oxidation in terms of grams per minute fat oxidation at a level of inward of about 0.3 to 0.5 extra grams of fat per minute being burnt, which is incredibly significant, especially from a performance standpoint and especially from a performance standpoint for uh, any performance that utilizes any percentage of slow twitch muscle fiber or that relies upon fat oxidation to any extent. Um, so, and, and I was part of that study and I experienced that. So, so yeah, absolutely. I have seen it to work from an anecdotal standpoint. So that's really cool. Um, scientific research there. If, if our listeners want to say, Hey, I want to do something where I can burn more fat or oxidize more fat, you know, per minute that I'm exercising, how would they do that? Let's say a listener is going to the gym today or tomorrow. How can they use that hack? Uh, that 
that's the tricky part is, um, I mean, like, you know, we were all born, at least most of us breastfeeding, um, other than those of us unfortunate enough to, to have parents who gave us soy formula. Right. Right. Um, but, but ultimately once you, once you get past the stage of breast milk, which is pretty high in ketones and has relatively high fat content, and you start down the road of whatever Gerber baby food and Cheerios and fruit roll-ups and raisins and everything else that honestly, most of us, most of the listeners probably grew up on. Um, then what happens is you really aren't any longer that efficient at burning fat and, uh, ketosis can be incredibly uncomfortable in a situation like that. Um, I found that even though it only takes about two weeks of shifting your macronutrient ratio towards a higher fat percentage, not snacking as much, doing some intermittent fasting, engaging in a lot of these strategies that allow you to oxidize more fats. Two weeks, you start to feel okay. Like you don't feel crappy. Like you want to punch somebody in the face unless they give you a breadstick. But then in terms of performance implications, it takes about six months before you feel good going out and doing a hard workout fasted. Okay. Something other than like a nature walk or yoga. It takes a good year before you can really throw down an intense voluminous workout. And for me, it was a good two years into a higher fat diet, not strict ketosis per se, but a higher fat diet before I really got to the point where I could go out and get through any workout on very, very few carbohydrates, primarily because of an increase in mitochondrial density that occurred to the extent that I could generate high amounts of ATP based primarily off of fat utilization. And frankly, most people who have been ripped out of ketosis or fat oxidation at an early age have to go through that entire cycle, right? Like two weeks of feeling crappy, six months of getting to the point where you can start to feel pretty good during your workouts, one year before you're really performing heavily, and then two years before you're ultra competitive, being able to stay in fat, a state of fat oxidation and ketosis. So if somebody were going to just like go and let's say tomorrow shift from having whatever, like let's say oatmeal for breakfast or even something highly insulinogenic or gluconeogenic, like bacon and eggs for breakfast and shed shift into, instead shift into like no breakfast and, and a workout and then maybe a higher fat meal after the workout, like plants and oils, um, you're going to feel like crap for, for a couple of weeks and they're not going to have a good workout. So ultimately, um, you can't just, just shift into this and head to the gym the next day and feel good. And what I have most of my clients do, like, especially when they first start off is we go through a good four weeks. Like I double that two weeks time. We go through a good four weeks of like body weight exercise, super slow training, like no longer than 12 to 15 minutes, walks, mobility, foam roller, yoga, sauna, cold thermogenesis, nothing really that's that glycolytic, nothing that is incredibly demanding from a cognition or coordination standpoint on a physical level, because it, it can be so difficult to just jump right into that, um, straight in, you know, d- during a dietary change. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned cold thermogenesis, and we're going to talk about that, but we'll save it kind of for a little bit later on. You mentioned something else earlier, too, that, that I don't think many people talk enough about where, you know, you said from a primal standpoint, you know, it's it's kind of in our nature to when we do encounter food, especially after periods of fasting, that 
you know, we're wired to eat to satiety, you know, either until we, we can't fit any more food in or until there's just no more food in front of us. And, you know, most animals, you know, if you watch a dog or, or any other wild animal eat, that's how they eat. Is that a benefit or, or maybe a, a lifestyle benefit of intermittent fasting, paleo diet, bulletproof diet, any of those diets where you eat a large portion at, a, at one sitting, uh, you know, that, that kind of satisfies that primal urge to eat a lot. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, the six, seven, eight meals a day, small, tiny meals is kind of counter to what we're designed or, or primal instinct is. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question because um, there there are a few considerations. Um, first of all, you do have a group of folks, generally more of like the mass gain, bodybuilder, strength, power, athlete folks who take that concept of like you know let's let's call it whatever the warrior diet carb backloading, um, however you want to look at it, I mean, strategies that include a lot of fasting and a lot of caloric restriction in microdoses, followed by large feedings, often large evening feedings is, is usually where you see that, that type of recommendation made. And um, sometimes it's, it's overdone a little bit, especially in terms of uh, protein intake. Uh, and, and, you know, protein has a very insulinogenic effect. It also has a high ammonia producing effect. It also has some pretty interesting effects on activation of mTOR pathways, which could potentially decrease the rate at which telomeres shorten and have an aging effect as well. So if you are living like a, a caveman or living paleo or living ancestral, whatever term you want to give to it, whatever nomenclature you want to use, and for you that that means that you're eating whatever, like 20 ounces of steak at night or, you know, an, an entire huge filet of salmon. That probably is um, overdoing it to a certain extent um, because it's, it's, you know, if you've ever been out, um, you know, whatever, let's, let's say, let's say camping or even hunting, you know, let's say like an elk hunt, right? You're out there sometimes for six to eight days before you get a kill. Right. And up until that point, you're living off of whatever's in your pack or, you know, if you were let's let's say if you study like the Native Americans, you're living off of like yarrow and gooseberry and mint and nettle and mullein and like, you know, all, all these basically plant based foods along with maybe some mushrooms, some seeds, some nuts, right? Like squirrel foods, basically. Right. But you're not eating an elk every night. Right. Right. So um, so there's that consideration that if you are going to to follow a diet like this, you do need to step back back. And, and look at it in in a little bit more of an ancestrally appropriate manner. Um, as far as as uh, I'm a fan of intake from a longevity standpoint to about twenty to thirty percent of your total data. A lot of evidence out there that once you exceed zero point seven grams per pound of protein, that you're going to get a significant benefit from a repair and a recovery standpoint. And even though you should try and meet somewhere around the range of 0.55 grams per pound of body weight in terms of protein, um, that range of 0.55 to 7 is is a, a range that's going to satisfy most of your needs. You want 
want to dip too far below 0.55. You don't want to go too far above 0.7. But if you can set up your macronutrients and your feeding ratio in a way that you are eating lower carbohydrate, moderate protein, higher fat most of the day, then at the end of the day, preferably in a post-workout scenario, getting some kind of a refeed in without overdoing things from a protein standpoint, still skewing things towards healthy fat, but allowing yourself enough carbohydrates for things like glycoprotein formation in the joints, mucin production, support of thyroid hormones. Etc. Um, that's a pretty good scenario, in my opinion. That's awesome, and that's that's really really valuable information because I, I know as you talk through that, a lot of our listeners are going to say, "Okay, well, what does that mean in a, in a you know for me in a real world situation?" So so those numbers for protein per pound of body weight are, are gold. Um, now you recently had a blog post. Um, I think it was it was in response to um, was it Mark Sisson's. 50 greatest foods for, for longevity. And I think yours was, uh, the 19 best uh, healthy pantry foods okay. from, from thrive market. Okay. So, so thrive market will be a great place for people to go and get these. And, and we'll actually have a link to that in the show notes, optimalperformance.com slash Ben Greenfield. But I want to ask you about a couple of the foods that you had listed in your top 19 at number one. Sure. Can I, can I give a caveat first before you do? Absolutely. Those are pantry foods, right? Like that's like 10% of my diet. Okay. Almost everything is from the garden or it's food that I've hunted or it's food that I've purchased from like a community supported agriculture or food from a local farm. Right. Yeah. So, um, that is a very, very narrow niche. Okay. Most of the foods in my cupboard don't have a label, right? They're in glass jars or they're pickled or they're fermented or from the field or from the garden. So I want to make sure people know that, yeah. that, that I don't endorse a, a huge percent of your diet being, pantry foods but that being said go ahead okay well number one you had bone broth uh either either chicken or beef um Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on on store-bought or uh making it yourself and and of course why is bone broth so important well making it yourself is always better um in, in this situation unless you're just a really crappy 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 cook because making bone broth is super duper easy i mean you need onions you need carrots you need some some herbs of choice thyme parsley cilantro sea salt black pepper whatever makes you happy you get it like a like a uh, a whole chicken you know preferably organic uh pasture raised or you know basically just like a, a natural chicken you, you put it in a crock pot you list it for 24 hours or you get like some femur bones or, or some some like hooves. Um, any of the bones that normally get thrown out, you put those in the stock, throw more of like a beef stock or whatever. But ultimately, you're leaching all that gelatin, all that protein, all that methionine, which we actually like lean meat um, tends to be really, really high in glycine, not very high in methionine. When you have uh, uh, skewed up glycine to methionine ratios, a lot of times that is one of the leading causes of the issues that we see with things like carcinogenicity of a high amount of meat consumption, right? It's because we're not getting a lot of like the marrow and the fats and a lot of the more methionine rich components of meat, but you are, you're taking care of all that, right? When you, when you drink bone broth, it's incredibly supportive for the, the, um, the lining of your gut. It's really, really good for amino acids, for neurotransmitter formation. It's got, um, it's, it's got a lot of the same type of growth factors in it that you're going to find things like, like breast milk or colostrum. So ultimately it really is, you know, like I don't I don't want to throw this term around, but it's like a superfood, right? Right. So, um, 
basically as far as store-bought versus making it yourself like i mentioned it really is easy to make yourself but if you're not a crock pot slow food kind of person you can buy it you just want to make sure that if you buy it you get it from a good um a good source where typically it's made fresh shipped frozen to your house it arrives you put it in the freezer else you thaw it out and you use it pretty you know pretty readily like there's a a guy named uh chef lance roll who i interviewed on my podcast at angryeaglefitness.com we talked about this and he ships bone broth all over the country um and, and it's healthier than than what you'll find at the grocery store which is a lot of times um full of a lot of preservatives and a lot of glutamate uh, or msg um typically doesn't have quite as much of, of the marrows and the fats in it because they've skimmed those off because frankly your average consumer at the grocery store doesn't want to see a bunch of blah 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 like fat come pouring out of there because it freaks them out um so ultimately yeah making it yourself is a good way to go all you need is a freaking crock pot and some bones and i mean like, dude, I leave my chicken in there long enough to where those bones get so soft, you can almost eat the whole bone. <laughs> like, you can definitely eat the knuckles off either end of the bone, like the joints off either end of the bone. Right. You can definitely suck out all the marrow that's left in there. Um, and honestly, like, after we make bone broth, that's one of my favorite things to do is I'll take all those bones and I'll get, like, coconut oil or butter or olive oil and I'll, I'll, I'll get out one of the cast iron cooking pans. I'll just dump, like, all the leftover bones into that cast iron cooking pan put some extra salt, some extra pepper on there. Um, and that's, that's like a lunch for me, right? It's just this huge pile of greasy bones with salt on them. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, when once, let's say somebody makes that broth at home, how would they eat that? And how would they count that mm-hmm. towards protein fat intake for the day? If they were yeah, so so I mean you can look at that on the macronutrient ratios of bone broth memorized, but I mean it's 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 mostly fats with amino acids, right? So um, and minerals, huge amount of minerals. So the way that that I use it is a I'll either take the broth itself and I'll drink it cold or drink it hot. I'm literally just as a snack, right? The same way that you would have uh, a protein bar, right? Right. So it's just it's just got a lot more nutrient density in it than a protein bar. So you could have it like pre-workout, post-workout. You could have it for breakfast on like a lighter calorie day. You could have it with a lunchtime salad like to, to get a little bit more minerals and amino acids alongside your plants, things like that. So that's number one. Um, number two, really, really perfect for soup. And stews, right? So you, you could make a bone broth and then make a stew with the bone broth by putting carrots and onions and a roast in there and making a roast with the bone broth. Um, number three way that I like to use it is just a basic risotto, right? Where you make you make risotto, but you use bone broth instead of water. So you use like bone broth, you use some white wine, and and you reduce your rice in the risotto cooking process that way rather than reducing it with say like uh, wine and water or like heavy cream or something like that. Awesome. Okay. So that's really, really cool information. Another food that you had in that post was nori. Tell us a little bit about nori. Nori is just a a dried seaweed. So um, like most seaweeds, it's pretty rich in minerals. It's pretty rich in iodine, um, which when balanced with selenium is a decent option for people who have like hypothyroidism. Um, it is, uh, it, it's very versatile in terms of its ability to be used in the same way that you'd use like a condiment, um, meaning you can like dry it, you can roast it, you can, even after you've dried and roasted it, you can put it in like a black pepper grinder and grind it and use that as 
as like a like a seasoning for salads and soups and stuff like that. But dude, like my number one way to use like the nori sheets that you get, um, like like a good organic nori sheet, is I just use it like a burrito wrap, right? So I used to be big time, you know, a few years ago, and like, you know, well originally like whole wheat wraps right because i thought those were healthy and then i realized that those weren't the best thing for my body so then i switched to like gluten-free wraps right which is just like a starch and a sugar load because they're just you know usually rice based um and then i realized that that i could like take my salads and i could wrap those burrito style inside nori i could take any meal really um like i mean um i'm to the extent now where like my wife make pad thai right and i'll eat my pad thai and my pad thai with chopsticks or a fork i'll just take a big old sheet of nori and like wrap it all up inside the nori and eat it like a burrito and frankly like it's a good it's a good kind of like calorie and carb control method for me too because when i eat it like that um i i generally eat eat more of the nori because it's very fiber filling and expands and yeah. um you take a sheet of nori and soak it in water and see what happens it gets like all gelatinous the same way that chia seeds do yeah so just like chia seeds kind of expands in your stomach it keeps you full um so yeah I'm a, I'm a fan of nori but my number one way to use it is just like a burrito wrap basically that sounds awesome you got me craving a nori burrito yeah yeah and i mean honestly dude for like a let's say like a like a higher carb meal or for like a refeed or whatever um if i'm lazy and i, I want like a super duper simple dinner you can cook up some sushi rice if you want to if you want to make the resistant starch style sushi rice you use the coconut oil cooking method then you cool it and you take it back out and you heat it if you want it to be a, a little bit lower in starch but you'll take your sushi rice and then you just get like a can of sardines like sardines and olive oil and an avocado and you put the sardines the avocado the sushi rice inside the nori and you eat that like a burrito and it's just like kind of like a a fast sushi yeah that's awesome um the third food that i wanted to ask you about this will be the last one here stevia that was your your number 19 uh on your list um you know a lot of people will be interested to hear you know how why you considered that maybe as a food or something to be in your pantry um yeah but also as as an alternative or or maybe you know that's your choice for, um, sweeteners. Right. So, well, first of all, um, there is a form of stevia called Truvia. That's mostly, mostly erythritol and sugar alcohols. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I think that's the one the Coca-Cola company uses. Um, but ultimately like a, like a real stevia, which actually has uh, a lot of the stevia sides in it that are even a little bit bitter. Um, as far as the options when it comes to sweeteners, if you do want to go for something lower calorie, if you're trying to stay in ketosis or you're trying to sweeten something without a blood sugar spike, um, I, I prefer it far more than, than a sucralose or an acetylsulfonic potassium or any of these things that have potential for neurotoxicity, carcinogenicity, or even the ability to, to do potentially a little bit of damage to the gut from a, from a bacterial standpoint. So I use excuse me, anything sweet sparingly because you still, you still do get a little bit of an insulinogenic effect from, from anything sweet that there, that still is a trigger for your incretin hormones to, to trigger 
burn out a message to your brain that calories are there that it needs to digest calories and so you do start the hormonal cascade necessary for that and if you don't supply your body with calories if you're not careful many times you do have food cravings and you will eat more like one to two hours later but ultimately if you want to sweeten something i'll, I'll give you an example so if i'm going to make like uh like a dessert right i'll take coconut milk i'll take a little bit of like an alkali free chocolate powder i'll put a little bit of stevia in there sometimes i'll throw in like a, a half of an avocado I'll blend all that up I'll put it in the freezer for 20 minutes or so right like you do it before dinner or so after dinner you've got like this this high fat ice cream that you can eat and then for a little crunch you can sprinkle that with like some dark cacao nibs or some unsweetened coconut flakes or something that's not like super duper high sugar and the stevia offers you a little bit of sweetness sweetness to something that might otherwise be slightly bland so I like to use in situations like that I'll occasionally put in a tea or occasionally put in a coffee for a little bit of sweetness um it's not something i use a lot of but but i i am a fan of it as an alternative to something like uh you know we also use raw honey we use organic maple syrup we use coconut sugar but if i want to go for something lower calorie i'll use stevia gotcha you stole uh that that's one of my favorite recipes anything with that coconut milk base turned into yeah. a homemade ice cream is it's the bomb yeah exactly yeah you whisk it you froth it whatever it's yeah nice and creamy. yeah you, you have tons of different options and, and directions that you can go with that you mentioned uh, the importance of gut health and not ingesting foods that can disrupt that do you use any prebiotics uh or or do you focus try to get any foods that contain resistant starches thoughts on that uh no i don't dude i eat like 20 to 25 servings of plants a day I mean, I, I have eight raised garden beds right outside my office window here. I mean, I've got everything from kale to spinach to mint. I have 10 acres of land full of, uh, we, we've got like nettle. We've got tons of different wild edibles out there. So um, ultimately, uh, the, you, 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 your jaw would drop at the amount of plant matter that I eat per day. It's like a gorilla. So my body's getting plenty of starch. It's fermenting a lot of starch into butyrate, short chain fatty acids, and everything else that I need. So I don't, I don't go out and buy like green bananas and you know do a lot with like the the potatoes and stuff. About the only thing that I do is what I mentioned to you. Like a lot of times before I eat rice, I'll cool it and then heat it. And I, I mostly do that just because I, I like it that way because I like how it gets kind of clumpy and chewy. Right. Um, I don't necessarily do it because I think I'm not getting enough prebiotics in my diet. Because I literally, if you if you look at my diet, it looks like basically like a vegan diet with a little bit of meat thrown in here and there and a ton of fats and oils. So okay, all right. Um, so what are your top supplements if if you're eating that much plant matter and you know we we hear how your diet looks? I'm I'm assuming that you look at supplements as a way to fill in any gaps. Are there any gaps that you try to fill in with supplements? Yeah, I, I use them primarily for just like better living through science, right? So sometimes I'll use uh, like like tribulus, fenugreek. Um, you know, usually that that's blended up like beta alanine and stuff, and a lot of these like libido enhancers. I'll use that um, on a day where I know that I'm gonna get laid, uh, and you know I'm I'm married, but my wife and I we we know that you know one of the secrets to good sex is you plan it out just like a workout. So you know if I know I'm gonna be having sex later on that day. 
day uh, or in the evening, I'll use a supplement like that, right? Just because you get, um, you know, better erections, ejaculation, all that kind of stuff. So that's one that I'll use. Um, if I'm really beat up, if I've had a tough day, like I had a race yesterday, this morning I took fish oil and I took proteolytic enzymes, right? Two things I wouldn't normally take, but uh, two things that can definitely help with the inflammation and break down a fiber engine. Two things that, that I know were, were going on in my body this morning when I woke up. Um, what else? I take, uh, actually one that I do take almost every day. I use about five grams of creatine just about every day, 365 days a year, simply because of the, the well-proven, uh, performance enhancing benefits of creatine for strength and power athletes. And also because it's, it's been shown to do things like maintain strength and muscle mass, especially as you age. So I'm a fan of about five grams of creatine a day. Um, when I travel, I'll take probiotics with me, like a good heat-stable probiotic. Um, I use uh, a lot of times in the evening, uh, especially on like, like a, a high-stress day, a tough workout day. Um, you know, a, a day where I might even have a really, really important meeting the next day that I could be anxious about. I'll usually use like CBD or THC or some, some kind of something that that'll trigger like the endocannabinoid system to help with like anxiety, stress, sleep, stuff like that. Um, when I travel, I'll use melatonin, but again, like just about everything I use, you know, it's just like a bunch of tools in a toolbox and, and I'll take them out when I need them. But, uh, I would say creatine. Oh, the other one that I'll use daily. Uh, primarily because of the amount of strain on my body from the sports that I compete in and because I've tested and every single time I test my gut, I test low on enzyme production, especially like pancreatic enzyme production. So I use a digestive enzyme between or before most of my, my major meals of the day. So those are some examples. Okay. Uh, any nootropics? Uh, for nootropics, I'll use, uh, well, caffeine, I have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, I will occasionally do, uh, like, um, you know, something similar to like an alpha brain. I'll occasionally use like a Siltep. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of experiment with a few different things, but ultimately nothing beats my morning cup of coffee. Okay. Um, uh, there's another one that I'll use like an adaptogenic herb complex called Tian Chi, mm-hmm. but I will admit that my, my smart drug um uh, system is poor i don't i don't really have any type of system when it comes to smart drugs and for me it's mostly sleep and a cup of coffee and then you know for me it's more just like sometimes playing with some stuff when it comes to to smart drugs so and and honestly whenever i use them i i feel them like and and uh uh, but yeah, I've used everything. I'm working on an article about this, you know, everything from like aniracetam, paracetam, alpha GPC combos to, right. to Siltep, to alpha brain, to, uh, Dave Asprey's, uh, upgraded force stuff. I would say about once a week, I'll open up my refrigerator and see what's in there and just pop something just to, but, but honestly, dude, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's like, you know randomly deciding to go on a hike or something like that. It's not yeah. part of my workout routine. It's just right. fun. So well, if, if, you if, you're up, if you're up for some guided hiking, we'll, uh, we'll send you over some <laughs> Siltep, some smart caffeine, the new dopamine brain food. And, and I'll be happy to, uh, to help you figure out the right combo for you. I, I think I have some smart caffeine, some, some caffeine, L-theanine blend. And I know this because, um, 
there was there was something I'm, I'm a big napper right like i do an afternoon yeah. nap just about every single day and there was one day last week where i, I skipped my afternoon nap and i opened my refrigerator and uh there was some of that, that smart caffeine i'm like okay well i know if i blend l-theanine with caffeine this is gonna keep me up tonight i need to get through this tough afternoon so i'm just gonna i'm gonna do that so yeah, there yeah. You go. but uh i'm always my rooster's outside the window right now crying um he's i don't know how he got out He's got the whole flock. He's got the whole flock out there with him, though. Um, so, uh, anyways, though. So, yeah, I, um, I will. I will experiment with most stuff generally as long as the label. Like somebody sent me, and I know we got it. I got to go soon, but right. somebody sent me a, a smart drug because I get stuff in the mail all the time, and it was. Uh, forget the name of the company, and it looked like you know decent blend. It was like a racetam base, but then it, you know it was a pretty blue capsule that use FDNC blue in and I'm like you know that, I threw it out because right. you know that, that's a that's an example of you know no matter how good it is I, it does have to have clean ingredients in order for me to touch it absolutely and you're the second guest in two episodes now to say you know watch out for those artificial colors so um, mm-hmm. well look I know you have to go and, and before we let you go um, tell the folks listening where they can find more of you um just go to bengreenfullfitness.com. I mean, that's that's a pretty good place to do it, I'd say. There's there's a good menu at the top with links to everything. And um, you know, sign up for the newsletter. I send out interesting stuff, at least stuff I think is interesting. So right. there you have it. All right. Well, before we let you go, your top three tips for our listeners to live optimal and perform at the highest level. Mm, they always change for me. Like people ask me, they always change. I'd say, um, but I always like them to be practical, right? So yeah. as far as what's on my mind right now, I'd say, um, number one, make sure that you pay attention to the importance of light in your life because, you know, from food, exercise, activity, sex, everything that can regulate our circadian rhythms, light is the most powerful. So, um, you know, pay attention to your, to the type of light exposure you get in the morning, the type of light exposure that you get at night. Um, I just wrote an article about that on my website. I released this morning about using, using light to hack your circadian rhythms, your jet lag, your sleep. So, um, don't underestimate the importance of light. Um, number two would be, um, I would say, uh, if you implement at least once a week, some kind of fascia work, really intensive fascia work. Like that's actually a workout, like a 30 to 60 minute workout where you have a whole collection of tools from like balls to sticks to foam rollers, etc. Um, I'm more and more amazed when I look at fascial research at the amount of uh, neurotransmitters that fascia can both store and release, um, the amount of stress that fascia can store and release, the amount of inflammation that can build up in fascial cross adhesions um, or, or cross linking fascial adhesions so uh, have a fascial practice but actually have a devoted workout once a week where it's just you whatever an audio book or you know podcast or whatever and just hit the foam roller the ball the muscle stick everything and hit it hard you know use becoming a supple leopard or whatever hunt down every tight spot in your body get rid of it that's that's number two it'll, it'll really really um decrease your, your risk of injury and increase your, your, the longevity of your body in particular. Um, and then number three, um, 
I would say uh, do do something every day that makes your head hurt because we have a lot of people, especially in like the smart drug community, the cognitive performance, the, the biohacking community, whatever. We get used to anything from like our, our go-to um, N equals one app or Lumosity or brain training or maybe it's maybe for you it's music, maybe it's reading, whatever. And it's very easy to get comfortable with our cognitive performance enhancing activity of choice. And what I found in my life is that if once a day I do something that just makes me freaking frustrated in my head spin, whether it's a, you know, I got a little break dance app on my iPhone, um, that, or, or, you know, like walking handstands or pulling out the classical guitar book rather than my go-to, you know, guitar covers, something that, that at least for 15 minutes makes my head hurt. That's, that's for me, 15 minutes. I, I literally set my stopwatch and every day I try and learn something new for 15 minutes or something that makes me frustrated and makes my head hurt for 15 minutes. Um, and I think that's a really, really good way to keep your brain in the game. So that'd be number three. Awesome. Those are all great tips. Um, Ben, thanks a lot for hanging out with us today. We appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, man. So for all you guys listening, make sure you head over to bengreenfieldfitness.com, get more Ben, and of course, the show notes, the video, and all of the links and resources that we discussed today will be available at optimalperformance.com slash bengreenfield. And that's it for today. We'll catch you next Thursday. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage. You've been listening to Optimal Performance Podcast. Remember, you can find show notes for every episode along with video version at OptimalPerformance.com. And also remember, Optimal Performance Podcast loves your five-star ratings. So head on over to iTunes, show us some five-star love. See you next Thursday.